Matthew. Matthew, are you there? Ride or die, I'll introduce him in a moment. It's not a secret. Spoiler alert, you probably know who it is. And we have a special guest tonight, which is going to take up the the most of the content because we haven't prepared any other content for this show. Welcome to episode 109 of One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast, Pachanga. I am so excited to be looking at the sky right now because it's amazing to be sitting on my back porch instead of cooped up in my double garages and just being with people, although outside for COVID concerns. Uh, here I am. I'm with this guy. You know him. You love him. He co-hosts a podcast you may have heard of. He's a friend of a cartographer of the new age. Um, he's keen on birds. He's Schaefer Hall. We talked, we chained our hearts in vain. Hit record, never asking why. We joked, I fell under your spell. A love no one could deny. Don't you ever say Matthew talks away. I'll always talk to him. I can't live a lie talking for my life. I will always Matthew. Whoa, it felt like I was on Broadway. I came in like I'm Schaefer Hall. I never talked so hard of love. All I wanted was to sing some songs. All you ever did was help me when you talked to me. I'm so sorry that I interrupted you there. Um, I have to say, though, uh, when we've done this before, I've, I had to ask what song that was. And uh, up until the chorus, I really didn't know. I thought it was, I thought it was Rodgers and Hammerstein. Like I thought it was just some classic Broadway musical, but it turns out that was Wrecking Ball by one of my favorite artists, Smiley. God for Daniels by Shafee. You got to have the pregnant pause there. But yeah, if you don't know that the pregnant pause is, is a pregnant pause then I, I can understand you coming in, yeah. I guess I only know that song. I really only know the chorus. Oh, yeah, I, I've studied it over the last couple of weeks. It's, uh... Uh, oh, yeah? Did that just come to you in a dream? I, I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm a big fan of that song. Yeah. And uh, and I realized quickly that Wrecking Ball and Schaefer all have the same uh, cadence sins. Right. And rhymed. I can't believe I hadn't latched on to that myself. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Uh, Shafi, welcome to the porch. Um, let's just go ahead and introduce our special guest for the evening. I'm so glad to have him. One of my all-time best friends, Lucas Marquardt. 
you know, when you're introducing the guests, you're not supposed to just say that they're your best friend. There's, You've got to expand on. Lucas was part of the the like the four, right? That lived together. Yeah, at Driggs, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Ben Murphy, Tom McGillick, <laughs> Lucas, and Shaver. It could be that Lucas has been mentioned on the podcast before, right? After after Lizzie and Tara left us in disgust. <laughs> Welcome to the back porch, Lucas. How you it's doing? Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. We should. It is a gorgeous. Night. We should really uh, let one magical nation know we are on the back porch in August in Austin, Texas. Uh, we've just had a crazy, crazy rainstorm, and it is beautiful here. It is the perfect temperature. The sun is going down. It's like a space station. The mosquitoes have not come out yet. I assume that they're coming. We're also. Have have a preventative fan on, which sorry if that's cutting into the cutting into the mix, but hopefully yeah. they won't be any the wiser. Maybe I shouldn't have told them. Maybe you shouldn't have told them, Shave. <laughs> now all they can hear is that damn fan. Now they're listening to what? Lucas, yeah, you know, there's I've often been accused of having too many best friends. Um we, we, that's been chronicled on the show, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Uh yeah, so but, you know but we'll allow it. If you wanna like maybe start to start to tear them. You know, he's got the distinction of having lived with me for a really long time. And also we were kind of talking today. We lived together in like the turn of our thirties from twenties to thirties, which we both agreed was the single craziest time of our life. So yeah. we we've been in the very metaphorical trenches together. Yeah. We lived in three different apartments together in New York City spanning seven years, which like a New York City year in your 20s is like two or three years <laughs> yeah. somewhere else. Sure. So, yeah, there was a lot of weird experiences, but most of them lovely, or at least most of them interesting. All of them yeah. interesting, yeah. All of them interesting, many of them lovely. Yeah. None of them can we talk about <laughs> on record. Oh, that's <laughs> a kidding. shame. That's a darn of shame. Again. <laughs> well, I just want to, you know, interview Lucas in the traditional One Magical Hour way, yeah. which is... Schaefer knows the guest and I don't. <laughs> Since that's the pattern, that's the tradition. But that's that's going to change. Yeah. yeah, you know, we're working. Uh, I've met Lucas once before, but uh, this is only my second occasion to certainly have a chat with him. Uh, and I've done the Wrecking Ball parody, so my work here is done. No, no, I need <laughs> you, you to, like, to, I need you to like riff and vamp. So <laughs> okay, we're going to need a poem and maybe a word, I'm gonna find a a word shop. Okay. Uh, Lucas, welcome to Austin. First thing, you tell tell the folks where you live. I folks. live in Lexington, Kentucky, the horse capital of the world. Okay, and as you, Lexington likes to call it. And you are in the horse racing business. In the horse racing business, I used to be a horse racing reporter, which is how I would introduce myself, just because that was the easiest way. I mean, it's not for being accurate, also like the easiest way to like dumb down kind of what I did. Um, but. Um, and now I've moved on to being a horse racing videographer, I guess would be the best way to describe oh, it. Okay. Um, and so before horses sell at auction, I'll like make like little promotional videos for them. Um, but then also like, you know, spend a lot of time handicapping and betting and just following the industry and just, you know, when you're there, it's kind of an all in sort of thing. Um, but so, yeah. Well, but, it's fascinating to me because I am a sportsman. I certainly consider myself a sportsman, uh, uh, but 
I got to say, horse racing is not one of the sporting arenas that I'm super familiar with. You know, I've, I've, I've never been to the, to the track. Um, I guess it, there was a possibility in my youth of going to Rio Dosa Downs. Oh, that would have been that a good was, one, yeah. That's the, probably the closest yeah. action to Lubbock, I think. On the run to Rio Dosa. <laughs> they, they used to play this commercial after like every newscast. Um, and they've got thoroughbred racing there. They also have quarter horse racing there. And I think horse. one have, of the big. Have you been there? No, I've never gone. But, it, but it's a reputable place. Not really. No. 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 no, no. Yeah. It's sure, not in the thoroughbred world. Right. I think in the quarter horse yeah, yeah. world. Oh, I, is, see, but, yeah. I see. Yeah, it's kind of the Super Bowl of the quarter horse yeah. world. Yeah. So, and once so in a while, I'll get a, a text from Schaefer because was it this year or last year? Was your an aunt? Somebody was like at Rio Doso playing the slots. I think my well, no, she, uh, my my grandmother. That's okay. It was your Cynthia grandmother, Burnett. Yeah. yeah, my mom took my grandmother to to Rio Doso Downs, uh, and she was tearing it up. Yeah, she could just do no wrong that day. So there, there's a pretty awesome. I probably sent you a picture of her. Uh, yeah, fanning out some greenbacks. Yeah, it was a pretty epic photo. <laughs> It should it should be on a T-shirt. Or it should did, be did you on. put that on social media or just was a text thread? I can't <laughs> it was remember. A text thread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So go, uh, go, Cindy. So uh, uh, this is probably going to get tedious, but what's the difference between a quarter horse and a thoroughbred? Quarter horses literally run a quarter of a mile, and that's it. Actually, it's a quarter mile or less generally. I see. Um, I think I, I know almost nothing about quarter horses. Is that like? Just one straight of the track. Yeah, just like just the, the home stretch. They like come out of the gate wheeling, and they like I, it's like 50, like forty eight miles an hour, and they get there in like point three seconds or something, or maybe it's not quite that, but it's something like, it's something crazy where they go from zero to sixty in in no time at all. Um, and with thoroughbreds, you you run the whole track. Well, yeah, the distance is generally let's say from like five furlongs, furlong being an eighth of a mile, so five eighths of a mile up to the longest American classic races, of which there are three, the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. The longest of the three is the Belmont, which is a mile and a half. A pretty anachronistic distance, like very few horses these days run that far. But even back, you know, back 50 years, they didn't race it all that often, and that's kind of why it was the third jewel of the Triple Crown. Um, anyways, but uh, like most horses, let's say between six furlongs and in nine furlongs um you know and the two different surfaces or really three different surfaces turf dirt uh, and there's something called synthetic but um so there's a lot of like variation within racing for different kinds of horses and there are sprinters and stayers and milers and you know turf horses and dirt horses and so well yeah there's a lot you know there's a lot of intricacies yeah and so it's it's what makes handicapping fun is you're trying to like you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. And a lot of lingo. I love yeah. Lingo. There's a lot of lingo. Um, I have, I've got two questions. Oh, what is handicapping? But wait, let's get back to but before that. So, so you look at a horse and you go, oh, that's a, a sprinter or that's a miler or that's yeah. one of those other. The best way to, to, the best analogy to, to make is like, if you're looking at a football player and be like, all right, that guy's six, three, 205 pounds, he's probably going to be a wide receiver. And a guy that's 5'8 and 220 and just like a ball of muscle is probably going to be, yeah, a running back or what you know, you're like, right. you've got a body type for the positions. And it's kind of the same with horse racing. Like those thickly muscled horses that are really stout looking are probably going to be sprinters. Um, and the, the more lithe 
longer limbs, stretchier horses are probably going to be route horses. Okay. Yeah, route horses, horses that go, you know, a distance of ground. And somebody, as somebody who operates a thoroughbred market, is there one of those horses that you sell more of than the other? Is one of the yeah, more cause expensive? It, because everybody wants to win the Kentucky Derby. Um, it's those, it's the route horses. Yeah. There's a weird, like, there, and if you ask people in racing, there's a weird, like, one of those myths that just aren't true. Like, everybody's like, oh, we breed too much for speed. Um, and it just is weird because it just isn't true. Like, most of the good sires, the most, the sires that people pay the most money for are the horses that are going to get you two turn horses that can be competitive at the derby distance, which is a mile and a quarter. Huh. So, um, it's at the sales. All of the, the horses that sell for seven figures, Virtually all of them are horses that you would expect to do well going eight furlongs, nine furlongs, ten furlongs, yeah. yeah. And tell us what handicapping is. Handicapping is looking at um, a horse's races are assembled into a 10 line, 10, 12 line kind of um, graphic. And each one of those lines is an individual race. And so handicapping is looking at each individual race, looking at pace dynamics, the distance the horse raced, um, pedigree, all these kinds of things, and trying to figure out how he's going to run today based on oh, his you, past you performance. You look at his 10 previous races. Yeah. And you know, maybe you look at 10 or the last three or four. I usually, I usually don't do 10 just because it's... So are there services on your phone? Is that a, an app? Is that... Or do they can, tell you that at the track? You can go online and uh, now I feel like I'm... Pitching a buddy's a friend of mine works for a place called Twin Spire, so you can go on. We sponsor. Yeah, welcome, let's get Twin Spire. Welcome, Twin Spire. And you can go and, and you can open an online betting account, and then you can download what are called past performances, which is the history of a horse's race. Um, and they'll got they'll group them by race. So like there'll be ten horses in a race, so all of those horses are grouped together, and uh, you would look at what are these called past performances, and uh, just try to figure out how the horse might figure in today's race. You know, so. Okay. It's a little, it's the kind of, yeah, it seems, it's a probably more cerebral than people give it credit for, not overselling it. You know, it's, it's still gambling, but, but it's if you, like, if you're, <laughs> if you dig poker, you dig more the you know, like those more like games that you've got to really put some thought into, you'll probably like handicap. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can I get a sounder for a famous segment, beloved segment, particularly, Guild workshop. <laughs> Wait, did you want me to be? Did you want me to be? I don't I have. The, I was asking I, for it to be a human, a human robot. I don't have the robot set up. Guild <laughs> workshop. I'm excited. So let's uh, get in know, here with this workshop. Do you know the origin of the word handicap, Lucas? Yeah, I mean, it's. it's uh, I'm. This is what I assume it is. It's the. They literally would put different weights on horses. Um, a, a track handicapper would assign weights to a given horse in a race with the idea of trying to make the horses all equal. So the best horse in the race would carry the most weight to try to make him roughly equal to the wor worst horse in the race. And they don't do it as much anymore, but like... Actually weigh the horses down. They'll put uh, lead bars in their saddle, uh, in their, uh, saddle area. Okay. Yeah. And the idea is to... Just, Even just to feel too more exciting. I don't. It's kind of it, to me. It always seems stupid, but um, but like some of these great horses of yesteryear used to carry a lot of weight, and they carry a certain prestige today because they carried so much weight. 
and still won races, you know. But uh, it was a way of getting, if you had a, a lesser horse and you were trying to enter a race with a really good horse, you'd want some kind of competitive advantage. And huh. so handicapping, is that what you, is that what's on your thing? Yeah, though this is, uh, it comes around to that eventually, but though the word is actually older than its use in horse racing. Uh, it goes back to the mid-17th century from the phrase hand in cap, originally a pastime in which one person claimed an article belonging to another and offered something in exchange, any difference in value being decided by an umpire. All three deposit forfeit money in a cap, the two opponents showing their agreement or disagreement with valuation by bringing out their hands either full or empty. If both were the same, the umpire takes the forfeit money. If not, it went to the person who accepted the valuation. The term handicap race was applied to a horse race in which an umpire decided the weight to be carried by each horse, owner showing acceptance or dissent in a similar way. Hence, late 19th century handicap came to mean extra weight given to a superior horse. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> I, need, I would need to read the explanation of that game or pastime or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like arguing over the value of an article of clothing. People were bored back then. Yeah, it seems like you had a couple too many whiskeys. You'd be like, we've got to do this tonight. Yeah, start going through your stuff. It's amazing what passed for entertainment in the past. <laughs> that seems like it could lead to taking clothes off. But, you know, uh, Listen, we don't have to take our clothes off. <laughs> to, to have, have a good, good time. time. Uh, well, I know we'll that you, you would disagree. Sure. We'll, we'll just see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's not... <laughs> Let's not handicap not ourselves. Handicap our handicap our good time just yet. Yeah, fair enough. So there's a there's your yield workshop. Don't weigh iron bars down to my good time, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this horse is for running. Keep that saddle light. Lucas, do you remember the first time you ever placed a bet? Yeah, I do. I was uh I think it was nineteen eighty seven and I was eleven and I went to Saratoga <laughs> and it was Traverse Stakes Days and like a you know it was actually probably was earlier because I'd go to my go you're, to the harness track with you're my dad. From Saratoga, right? I was born in Saratoga and then kind of lived sort of nearby. Well, I didn't realize you were born in Saratoga. Yeah. That's crazy. My dad trained at the Standard Bread track there, which is okay. a different kind of racing. But um I think of you as Albany through and through. Yeah. And Albany. I was Albany. Albany's for all people. That's how I tell Ada to that's <laughs> she says Albany all the time. And I'm like, no, Albany is for all people. Um, more specifically, scary. More, more yeah, which means okay. driftwood in Iroquois. So, <laughs> the tiny town of Scoharie in upstate New York. Wow. Oh, sorry, um, go back to Saratoga. It's, it's cool that you were born there. Okay, so the first bet I made on a thoroughbred that I remember was there was a horse named Rhythm who was in the Travers, and I knew nothing about the race or knew, absolutely just knew nothing about anything. And but I had just gotten a drum set and I was very excited that this horse was named Rhythm. So I think my dad okay. put like, you know, $5 or whatever on him and, uh, and he won. And so I was exceptionally jazzed about that. Well, yeah. He won. 40 Wait, years. Wait, your first bet? He, your Everybody's first bet they win. It's is that really, right? Totally. Yeah. It's how horse racing gets you in. You're like, oh, this is super easy. <laughs> this is free money. So yeah, bet big first time out because you're going to okay. win and then you'll spend the rest of your life chasing that feeling. <laughs> right. Right. It's totally depressing. Well, that gets me to a topic I wanted to bring up later in the podcast, but you mentioned it. Uh, tell us stories of depraved gambling addiction. 
that you've run into. My in own your, or other people? Whoever. whoever yeah. You want to bring your own experience? That's great. Let's I just, keep, let's I, keep um, proper nouns out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, my, my dad was a bookie. Oh, yeah, yeah. For a time. Nice. And um, I, know, I know a little bit about the face. Primarily uh, sports. He did, yeah, primarily sports. I, guess, I mean, what yeah. else would you be a book? Yeah, I guess. This but like the eighties, like football, a long and baseball. Time ago. Yeah. I hope I don't know if anybody in my family is really listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you're about to get a phone call tomorrow. I, I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just mentioned that because I'm, <laughs> I'm not unawares of, you know, yeah. Well, everybody knows about that side of gambling, but you being in the business, you must have met people, been around. You must have been around. I, you must have been around people who you were like, "Yeah, I probably oh would lie to you if that I, guy's got a problem." Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I look in the mirror sometimes. I'm like, "No, oh, this is lay off this." But uh, is I'll, it uh, you? <laughs> no, but it's surprisingly, just because it's I don't know. You don't see, or I don't see that many guys like like when you go to Vegas and you're like, you, you know, you know, this guy's got the the mortgage riding on on black or something. You don't see a lot of. You that don't see track. a lot of that, or at least I don't. See, I haven't seen a lot of it. Okay, of course, people aren't professionals. Yeah, to be a professional, you have to do it right. But I mean, to be clear, you're you're not a gambling professional. You you. No, uh, no, I'm not good enough. So you have a company, Thoroughstride. Yeah, is that the name? Yep, that's yeah. it. And tell us what Thoroughstride does. So it, it produces these videos, and so we'll do a couple thousand a year of horses that are going to sell at auction. And uh, we get what's called a confirmation photo, which is a photo of the horse standing in a certain direction with his legs set in a certain way so that potential buyers can look at these photos and judge a horse's confirmation based off it. So they're looking at like neck angles, the way the neck ties into the body, leg angles, um, how long a horse is, how tall a horse is, uh, the shape of his hip, how the back leg is shaped, all these different things that combine together to make a horse athletic or unathletic or at least that's the idea because most of these horses are sold before they ever race so the idea is to like look at a horse and say i think he's going to be a runner because of the way he's shaped it's like what the pelvis tells us yeah and like the way they walk the way like yeah um i don't know what that means but yeah it was a <laughs> it was an episode title <laughs> it, could, it could be a horse i like racing to term. i try to throw in old episode titles <laughs> into the conversation but what um, the pelvis tells us is totally like, you if you wanted to break down angle. what I do into like one sentence, what the pelvis tells us is that <laughs> sentence. Because like, like, like but, 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 but Thoroughstride is like, you're a service, you're not actually a broker. No, 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 broker. no, no, yeah. You, you provide a service. To uh, people that are selling horses market. in general hire me and then I make videos and the people that are buying horses in general will watch the videos and that'll assist in them making a decision. That's um, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun gig, and it's you know it takes you to a lot of different places and a lot of oh, interesting people. You travel around to capture video. Yeah, I mean, yeah. On, to be honest with you, a lot of it's traveling to Florida and then traveling to Kentucky and then back and forth. But um, but those are the two big places where the horses are. But it, you've gone to the Middle East. The, my previous job, where I was a reporter, has taken me all over. So I've gone to uh, South Africa and Korea, um, China. Uh, Japan, like it's been a really, that was a really cool experience because that just took me everywhere, you know. Um, but, you know, I did it for 10 years and you just kind of like move on. And, uh, you still do some freelancing for them, right? A little not? bit, yeah. 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 Uh, that, less so now just because the, the thorough stride has gotten, just gotten real busy. But um, uh, 
but I'm always kind of like tied to that organization that I used to write for. One of the fun things Matthew at Lucas's wedding was hanging out with his old uh, cohorts from Thoroughbred Daily News. They're a really fun, really nice bunch. And uh, seeing them, because I, I had seen them a few times. Uh, you used to actually see them quite because we'd bring come into New York and they, they, the office was based down in Red Bank, New Jersey, which is about like an hour and a half train ride or maybe less than that from the city. Uh, just south of, the, of New York City, and so they would come up and like we'd have like karaoke nights or just like Christmas yeah, parties or whatever it was. They'd so. Come party, yeah. yeah. And, but also, I would sometimes make it down to Red Bank and there, and and then I would run into them at you know at the track occasionally at some big races. Yeah. So yeah, seeing the, but just hanging out with them at your I mean, your wedding was always uh, obviously a blast for a lot of different reasons, but that was one of my favorites was hanging out with those guys. Shafee songs performed, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I've seen pictures. I wish we 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 made the decision not to like do video, and I really regret it now because, uh, like, she, because Shafee put on a show, he put on a show, and like you know, <laughs> there's a lot, obviously lots of other stuff too that I would like to yeah. have seen and remembered. But um, uh, yeah. Jen's uh, thing that Jen wrote for y'all was incredible. Yeah, Jason Schneiderman, who's a poet, great poet, did a poem for us. Um, it was just a really cool group of people like coming together to talented wedding party. Yeah, it was a little. Uh, it was humbling to uh, to be in their presence. Well, that's pretty much how we get all our podcast guests, just people, just talented and interesting people shaping us. Yeah. And you guys are killing it, so. We get them on podcasts? I'm, sh- I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure we're quite killing it, but, but <laughs> if it if you're perceiving it that way, that's great. Thank you. The way I'm perceiving it. Good, good. The people of India are perceiving it. Shaver and I were talking about your Indian numbers today. <laughs> I was looking at the overall graph and there was this weird moment where we must have been on some kind of best of list in, on, on Ganah. Yeah. And, and because we had this from like March to May, we had this massive spike in listenership and we're down maybe not uh, pre Indian spike levels, but uh, we definitely had uh, some weird seemingly, uh, I mean, th- it's so like isolated it had to be manipulated somehow like uh, i don't think we did we weren't just naturally getting indian listeners lucas has a, a oh, the mosquitoes coming out now head. um i figured you weren't taking a swing yeah, at me sorry. but yeah it was a super <laughs> slow motion one but lucas had a mosquito right <laughs> in his forehead and i to be a friend i kind of want to shoot that away saved me from a um, weird itchy forehead later on yeah um I, it's it's my hope that there's an English teacher in India that is prescribing your class and saying <laughs> this is what you need to be listening that to. That would be so cool. Yeah. That would be amazing. Um, tell us about Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington. Now that's and it, that's someplace you moved because of the business, right? Totally, like, yeah. Yeah. We moved there ten years ago after being in New York City. Um Lexington's kind of a cool little city. Like I'm guessing two hundred and fifty thousand. And um, it's uh, it's a neat city because of zoning laws. Um, you can drive from downtown to the nearest horse farm in probably eight minutes or ten minutes. Like it goes. <laughs> All from, like, houses must be very near the horse farm. Yeah, like it's. I mean, from <laughs> a decree went out. <laughs> How far from downtown to the nearest bourbon distillery? Uh, just downtown. Yeah, <laughs> just, you're, you're, you're already there. Yeah, and then you can just keep bopping around to them. Is uh, it's a, As you see fit. It's like, that's the 
ancestral home of bourbon? Or yeah, something? and yeah. and bourbon and horse racing thrived there for the same reason. Um, <laughs> there was a yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of lush handicapped. <laughs> <laughs> One kind of engenders the other, yeah. Um, it's all those degenerates and poets. Lexington used Poetry to be, lot too. or the Bluegrass region used to be set on an ancient, oh, or ancient inland sea. And so there's this thick limestone base because when all the marine life died and sank to the bottom and gets compressed, and that's how limestone is made. Um, that whole region sits on this old, ancient, dried up seabed. And Limestone is pretty soft, and so when underground water kind of flows through it, it's a good water down there. It creates caves; those caves collapse, and so you get this like rolling hills. And uh, like we're talking about Austin having rolling hills, and I was wondering if it had a kind of similar ge- yeah, geological history. Right. Yeah, yeah. They are on limestone, but um, the bottom of the sea. Yeah, and so, but it makes for good grass because of the, of the limestone base, the high calcium and just high nutrient. Um, or what it puts into the soil, and then for growing horses, that combination of the good grass, the rolling hills, and uh, like the new, even like the nutrients in the water, the, cal- the high calcium content in the water builds strong bones. And, uh-huh. So that's why it's uh, that's why it's the horse capital of the world, according to Lexington. That is interesting. I'd like mm-hmm. to go there. We need to we need to do that. I don't really drink bourbon. Do you drink bourbon? Yeah, I'm more of a Scotch guy, I guess. But okay. um, but you can't not be in Lexington, not appreciate what they're putting out. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I would be hot and angry. I'd be fighting. I'd be the. I'd I be love the... I love old granddad, the bonded stuff, the hundred grip <laughs> one. Oh, so good. The smell of that stuff still reminds me of. One of the places that we used to, uh, and Cl- not Clifton Place, um, what's Clifton Place? Uh, reminds me of that apartment because I just remember like a bottle of it sitting out in the middle of the living room all the time and like <laughs> coming home at midnight or one in the morning and like that just being opened up and being like, oh God, it's going to be, this night's about to get even weirder. <laughs> that reminds me of another classic segment. Tell us about when you first met Shafee. I'm glad that I was trying to think. First of all, Shaver didn't tell me I was going to be on the show until about four hours ago. Oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, but wow. I, so I was like, I was. Classic. I wish I had had some like uh-huh. better time to prepare because I would have come yeah. tried to remember wow. some good stories. But Shaver, th- and let me say this: I think that he's concerned that people are just going to be like, no. <laughs> and so, but once you're on route, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. hard to say no. Yeah, I was. You and know, he kind of sh- shanghai's people. Did yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally got to shanghai. Yeah, yeah, maybe okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. We've learned on the show we got that swindled. pretty much every service, turn yes. of phrase is racist. Yeah. Massages, or both. Um, <clears throat> That's absolutely not true. You're right. There's still lots of phrases. So it's, yes. There's, uh, can you name one? Right. The ones that we love to say. <laughs> you have to cap that horse. Yes. <laughs> that is good, honest phrase. Okay. Um, okay. No, I, I right. met Schaefer. I was What's taking your favorite bird. Is that another phrase you're talking about? <laughs> yes. I'm saying phrases now. <laughs> phrases that may or may it's not be. It's going to be an exciting 20 minutes of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I met Schaefer when uh, I went to school in Boston. I once had a blue door. <laughs> that stop. is also I'll not stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Boston. Boston. I went to school at Emerson, and oh. Schaefer had gone there the year before. And he was up visiting a friend, Ben Murphy, who's been on the program. Okay, right. And Ben and I 
had a poetry class with a guy named Sam Cornish. And Sam was great. And uh, she ever came in, was visiting Ben, came into the class and just sat in. And then afterwards, we convinced Sam to go down to this place called the Tam, which was a bar right close to um, Schaefer shaking his head right now. Man bar. Yeah, it was just, it was a terrific drinking bar in Boston. Cause it was it was one of those like really brightly lit places, which I liked in a drinking bar. Like it was, you're there for business, you know, and uh, there was very few ladies in there. The women's bathroom was locked because they had a, <laughs> it was right on the edge of the, uh, what did they used to, was it Combat Zone? They, they, yeah. had a, they had a nickname on, for it. It was on the edge of the combat zone. Yeah. yeah, and also right on Boston Common. Yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful spot. And I think by the time that we were there, it was it was a completely respectable area. But they had a problem with prostitutes in the women's bathroom for a while, and so you there were and there were so few women in there that you had to get a key to open the women's bathroom door. The guy, men's bathroom, you walk right in. Okay. Yeah, it was a very sounds like an interesting. Place. Yeah. Anyway, we convinced Sam Connors to go down there and shape went and. and um, you know, we just immediately hit it off. And then the next day, he's like, hey, come to John Cotter's apartment and we're going to write some poetry. And so I showed up and Schaefer opened the door wearing nothing but boxer shorts and had a bottle of whiskey in his hand. Right. And uh, he might have, may or may not have been wearing a cowboy hat. I don't say that for a fact. He actually might have been wearing a cowboy hat. I just can't remember. And um I and then we sat down, and I think I, technically that's called a Schaefer's birthday suit. It is a Schaefer's birthday suit. Yeah, <laughs> it's a wonderful look. Yeah, boxers yeah. in the cowboy. It's, like it's like a birthday suit with just like a couple accessories. Boxers in the cowboy. Whiskey. Just the things you need to keep it classy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he like opened, swung open the door, and was like, "Get in here!" And um, and then we wrote some poetry, which sounds super goofy, and it was. And I honestly got it. I didn't. It was like two years before I wrote poetry again because Schaefer and, and John are terrific. And I was like, "Oh, I'm terrible." Oh. But it was fine. It wasn't like it wasn't like a, it was like I need to do doing something else other than writing bad poetry. So it was it was totally fine. But it was it, it, we just had a good time that evening. And has has Cotter been on the show? Is, is no. All right, we're gonna get him on. Yeah, soon. yeah. So, but um, but yeah. And then after that, you know, that's how we just kind of became friends after that. And um, a couple of years later, I moved down to New York City and, and uh, split up with a girlfriend. And we they had an extra room in their place and. And that was the Driggs apartment, and, and moved in there. And next seven years was bouncing around to different apartments in Shaper. We're so wow. excited! Like we moved to New York City, and then less than a year later, Lucas moved down, and he and his lady at the time got an apartment in Chelsea, which was near our favorite bar called the Village Idiot. Yeah, uh, which uh, the Village Idiot was, you know, the like. It was just bartenders like, lion dancing on the bar, set the bar on fire. Yeah, it was like a coyote um, ugly, coyote ugly ish kind of place, but without being total wankerish. Like there was a real authentic. It was a really, really grimy place. It was, it was really not nice. Um, it was it was <laughs> it was the kind of place that Coyote Ugly was based on. Oh, okay, but, yeah, yeah. Coyote Ugly was like the Disney version of yeah. this place, huh. but they had buck uh, seventy five. PBRs, which I was excited about. Wow. And um Yeah, in New York that's like candy to drink it. Yeah. yeah. And um the bartenders were a crazy set of young ladies who would like light body parts on fire. Um and then they had big vats of peanuts, which I was also having no money at the time. I was excited about that. <laughs> the cockroach population in that bar was disturbing. And really? Yeah, now I probably, I'm classy enough now where I probably wouldn't go there. Yeah. I'll wow. tell you a funny thing about the village idiot. When 
the smoking ban went into effect, the village idiot smoked worse. Because <laughs> all that stale cigarette smoke was covering up a much worse smell of like stale vomit and old beer. And like you would, when you went into the bathroom of the village idiot, your eyes would start burning and watering from like the. Yeah. Here, here's a, a fun village idiot story. I once kept Vince Vaughn from getting into a fight at the Village Idiot. <laughs> He'd gone there and like... That it was, seems normal. Yeah, he was. I guess it was around Springer's time, maybe? I'm not sure. This would have been early 2000s. But like, you know, he was fine. He was drinking with his lady or whatever. And some dude was trying to like, you know, start something and, and go after him. And it was me and a couple other people being separating... Not that Vince Vaughn needed my help. I love that. But, you know. Where was Vince the night we got our asses kicked in front of the village idiot? Yeah, that's, that's a different village idiot story. <laughs> you guys were on the receiving end? Yeah. Yeah, we got we got bludgeoned in front of the village idiot. And then we attended a Yola Tango Hanukkah show in Hoboken, New Jersey. And it was. And y'all were, like, bleeding? Yeah. Swollen and bleeding. Wow. Yeah. And loaded up with whiskey. We we had plenty before the fight, and then after the fight, there were three of us, and we were beat up enough. We were like, we should just keep on drinking whiskey to dull the pain. Yeah. So this is making me want to open a beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long walk from the path train, so we 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 met up for a little pre gaming. We had a few tequilas at the village idiot. Then I turned to the guy next to me because I thought it was I thought it was probably about time for us to leave to go to the show. So I turned to the gentleman next to me, an Italian fellow, talking to two other North Jersey Italian fellows. And uh, I said, I said, excuse me, sir, what time is it? And he whipped his head around and said, time for you to leave. And I was like, well, you know, actually, that's kind of what I thought. That's why I was asking. So maybe he just answered my question. There's, I think it is time for us to leave. Okay. We got to go. We got a show to catch. And I'm like, so I'm kind of, I laugh about it. I turn and I tell Lucas and Ben Murphy and uh, I go into the bathroom because it's time to leave. I'm getting ready to leave. I come back out and I just, Lucas is just straight. As soon as I turn my back, Lucas had turned to the guy and was like, hey man, what time is it? And the guy's like, time for you to leave. He's like, what? And so. You asked him again? Yeah. Because, you funny. know, I had enough to kill him here where I was like, I thought uh, that was a good I idea. Like that, you know, I was. Yeah. I just come out, we go filing out in the street, we square off, we're laughing about it because Lucas squares off with somebody who's kind of about his size, I square off with somebody who's kind of about my size, and poor Ben Murphy, who is a pacifist, is a nice guy, is not hot-blooded like yeah. Schaefer and Lucas. Right. And wanted none of this. The look on his face, he was like, I want none of what's about to happen. No, no. He is paired off with this bull of an Italian yeah. man. Oh. Who hadn't yeah. said a word. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. Guy, the guy like the guy that Ben was like, and you were like nervous about that guy. That guy, <laughs> you were like, that's not the one I want to be fighting. And so uh Lucas and I Lucas pops off with his guy, I pop off with my guy. Um and then Luke Ben turns to his guy and is like putting his hands up in the air, like, can you believe these guys? <laughs> and he took that opportunity to just he walloped Ben. Walloped Ben in the ribs. Oh, pretty man. sure like there was a there was an immediate fracture. Um, we we're going at it. We and we kind of like New York street fights are kind of funny, like because everybody knows that they kind of they they can't go on for too long, or you know 
the cops would come. So like, and I fighting kinda, is exhausting. It's also like you do it for ten seconds. You're like, this is really. I'm tired. Yeah, if you're not, the, if you're not yeah. training. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. guy I squared off with hit me in the in my plastic glasses, and they broke and cut my face. I pushed him over a pile of trash, like he's going cop style. <laughs> I saw Lucas, and Lucas had gone down underneath the guy, uh, and he was on top of him. So I go over. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull that guy off of Lucas and kind of push us towards the path train. Like this needs to wrap up soon. Uh, then that that big bullish Italian guy who was Ben's guy pushes me from behind. I go staggering off. Poor Ben. But now like we've kind of we're kind of all holding each other. We go staggering off down the street. If you so if you go east on 14th Street, you're going t- straight towards the path station. We go running down. We run down into the path train. We take the path train across the river to Hoboken to the we're going to the Yola Tango uh Hanukkah show. You know, this is like this is like really cool, nice hipsters. Um, yeah, if you don't know, most of your listenership, I'm assuming, knows you a lot. Yeah. They're a really sweet indie band that writes. And, and we love them. And we're sweet people, too. Yeah. Like, you know, most of the time, you know. Like but you weren't, looking at, you weren't looking at right around the block. Yeah. yeah. So we get, off, we get off the path train, and it's kind of a long walk from the path train to Maxwell's in Hoboken, where the show is. And... Ben's just like, my ribs hurt. <laughs> and so we oh just, God. we went into the first bar. We had some whiskey. It made us feel a little better. We uh, walked a few blocks. We were like, uh, we're still in pain. We go in, we have. So by the time we make it to Maxwell's, we're bleeding. We're fractured. We're, uh, you know, Lucas's head is swollen. Uh, his eyes are black. You know, uh, I'm gashed up. And we have probably each had about... Yeah, surprisingly enough, we didn't win the fight with the burly North, <laughs> North well, yeah. Jersey Italian guy. <laughs> I, I, I gathered that, yeah. About a half a... We've probably had about a half a dozen shots of whiskey. So now we're now we're really drunk, like nonsensically drunk. And <laughs> the, the, that crowd of really nice people just like parts for us. And we're just standing in the middle of the room and Yola Tango starts playing. And funny, like the funny part of this story is I really wanted to hear this one Yola Tango song, but I was drunk and I couldn't remember the name of it. I just remembered that, uh, that the word summer was in it and <laughs> that Jimbo, the bassist, sang it. <laughs> Only in my whiskey drunk confusion, I thought that Jimbo's name was Steve. <laughs> and I, so I'm trying to request a song that I don't know the title of. To a guy whose name I've forgotten. And so I just kept saying in a really loud voice, Hey, Steve, tell us about the summertime. Cause I remember that the word summer is in this song. <laughs> and I was trying to, this song is Stockholm Syndrome. I can feel the heart beating as one. Yola Tango, sung by Jimbo. I know all this stuff, but. I can't imagine. In, wow. In my people community. around you were just yeah, cringing. Yeah. So there's just like whiskey guys staggering around. At the end of the show, Ira's like, Thanks, most of you, for coming. Uh, sorry about <laughs> right? sorry about the weirdest heckler that we've ever had. Uh, so, uh, Ira, it'd be funny if Ira eventually hears this someday, and maybe you will, maybe you won't. But uh, would you like I'm, to take this chance to formally apologize? To formally to apologize, I love you. I love you guys. I did that to Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter one time (laughs) where I was just like the drunkest guy there. And I was just like talking loud. 
And they were like, get that guy out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't actually asked to leave, but it was mentioned, I think, in like um, the the review about the show. (laughs) There were people there that were just talking too loud. That's interesting. We never thought to look about it. I'm sure you couldn't find it now if there was an actual review of that particular show. <laughs> oh, it would have been right. mentioned in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a night. It wasn't our finest hour. That or or it was, awesome. depending on how you want to look at it. They played uh, They played an acoustic show here on the UT campus, and uh, Charlie and Dick and I went to see them. It's an amazing, beautiful show. Um, and, uh, and, there was kind of a quiet time at the end when people were just calling out requests. You know, they were, like, they were taking requests from the audience. Yeah, you didn't, and I was you didn't like, call out Steve. Yeah. I was like, what if I just yelled, "Hey, Steve, tell us about this other guy." Ira immediately like has a weird chick. Yeah, he's like, "What? Stop! No!" Three years of therapy, buddy. Because we'd seen them. Like I saw them well before that show. Like we. Dano Reynolds and I like followed him around Texas one year. So like I definitely comported myself well at Yellow Tango shows yeah. before. Uh saw an awesome show here with uh them and Daniel Johnston. Uh oh, that's a land of a show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here in Austin at uh probably La Zona Rosa isn't I guess. Yeah. Uh, or maybe uh, <laughs> you're not sure. Yeah, I don't know. They're gonna I get those. It wasn't because you had come from the village. Idiot. <laughs> this, this was well before the village. Idiot. Right, right. Um, you certainly introduced me to the Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with them. Mm. When I think of them, I think of you. Oh, that's, that's nice. And <laughs> yeah. they, they think of you too. <laughs> you can be associated with any band. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love that story. Yeah. Tell us another. Tell us another Shafee can story. I tell you, can tell, I tell them the, t- uh, the lying on the curb stories? Yes. There was, don't there, look at him. Look you at you him. can cut this out look later away if you from decide him. you don't want it. We there don't was cut a out anything. weird period where Schaefer, and it was a, a brief period. It was like like a, a year or maybe like even less than that, where he, um, if he got, if he was in his cups, he would get angry. And he uh, he would lie on the curb <laughs> out like in front of the village idiot and in front of Flight said. 151 in New York City. I remember one time we'd gone inside and some guy came in and he's like, I, somehow he just knew it was our table. And he's like, there's some guy lying on the street out there with his head on the curb, giving me the finger. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's our <laughs> that's our friend Shaver. And it was it was kind of a, a blip of your uh, of your you, you you stopped quick, but um, that was yeah like. There was a time in my late 20s, like, kind of just after I'd moved to New York, like, I hadn't really, like, assimilated into the culture yet, and I I really felt like all of the fancy New York people, you know, kind of thought they were better than me, Mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody was so fancy, and I was... I was not. And you were probably working at Standard & Poor's at the time. I was. Which probably didn't help with that. You know, and I was also, you know, drinking more and party more than I ever had in my life. So I was probably coming to terms with that too. Um, but yeah, I, and that I'm really happy, like somewhere in my late twenties, I kind of, I kind of came into myself and shed a lot of that anger. I don't know. I, I have to say that I've never seen that. No, no, no. And it was, that I mean, anger. I've, 
you know, I've, it was just like a from period. that, and I mean, for another, it was very early on. It was in two thousand one or two, and I lived with Schaefer for seven years after that, and then never saw it. Okay. You know, those so things were. I love it. Sorry, I brought that up. That actually sounds maybe a little like I, I no, meant it to be kind of funny because I, I have like kind of funny memories thinking about it. But it sounds it's uh, interesting to talk yeah. about. Yeah, uh, and you know, I think well, you know, a lot of it might have had to do with me. You know, like kind of coming into my own as a poet and having you know a little definition in my life. You know, and having something to hang my hat on and yeah, something to call myself. I and mean, I didn't feel quite as wayward. Is that that kind of all jives up time period wise? You know. Yeah, I mean, you probably, this sounds goofy, but like, I don't know, you probably, like, well, you just said, like, kind of came into your own in New York City, and that kind of, I felt like you were a different person two years into New York City. I mean, of course, you're in your 20s, and any person is going to change over two years, but you you, you kind of solidified into who you are now during that stretch, right? you know? Um, so by the time that you had a, a a business card that said, Texan poet. Bar, bar, was it? Yeah, Texas uh, Texan poet. Bartender, bartender poet Texan. Yeah, you still have that on your business card. Yeah. No, I, uh, I've got different business cards now. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the time you had that, those printed out, I feel like you'd really like kind of yeah that come was into also the person you're now. Tagline on your blog. I, I love that you um, you described it as in his cups. Yeah, that's a phrase that uh, I stole pick, from did, Ada. Did you pick that up from? Lexington? No, I think it's an old. I think her Ada's stepfather uses it, and I think it's okay. an old like northeastern term. Okay, okay. Well, hey, my yeah. my wife's dad and his buddy, yeah, will say in the cups. He's a, he was a ways in his cups. Yeah, I yeah. kind of you, you kind of know what it means, but I kind of don't know what it means. Um, I know what it the means. other phrase is like he's got a good heat up. And I like that too. What is it? Uh, he's got a good heat, or if you get a heat on, you know, oh, yeah. uh, oh, you, uh, you, 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 you've had some booze. But uh, uh, I think those are both taken from um, from Brady, who was Ada Lamone's. You had Ada on, I guess, nine episodes ago, right? Yeah, uh, Brady T. Brady. Yeah, Brady T. Brady. And I think that's one of his phrases that she stole from him, and I've stolen from her. Okay. Um, well, I like that. Yeah, it's a good phrase. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's good language. It's good to carry on those like old like old timey sort of. Uh, that jargon, I like it. You know. Yeah, Brady T. Brady is is a special dude, really cool dude. When I was up there at the wedding in Napa, um, that, that Brady T. Brady is Ada's stepdad. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Big influence in her life. Uh, okay. Great writer, um, okay. uh, and just like a character, and I, I mean that in, in the most positive way. It sounds uh, cartoonish when you say it sometimes, and I, you know, he's just a. He's got such a strong personality, and he's such a uh, interesting fellow. You know? And when I would be warming up, playing like I, I would play old, you know, like seventies Texas country songs on the guitar, play some, you know, uh, some, uh, you know, whoever I was playing, Willie and Waylon. Yeah, uh, but also like uh, Towns Van Zandt, uh, Billy Joe Shaver. Oh, yeah. yeah, Towns Van Zandt. Yeah, uh, and he knew all those songs. He would sit out there on the patio with me while I was warming up. And, and you know, I was also drinking whiskey, and he uh, he he was not drinking whiskey. He uh, gave that up a while back, but uh, he he knew all the songs and would sing all the songs and listen. Brady and I, were simpatico. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like you guys are. Yeah, that guy. I don't know if "cuff from the same cloth" is the right phrase for YouTube, but you can definitely like kindred spirits <laughs> to some degree. Kindred spirits, yeah. yeah, that's a good, uh, that's definitely a good way of saying. It. Yeah. 
by the way, Kindred Spirits, uh, cut from the same cloth. Uh, We're really rolling them out here. In the cups. All, all those are racist, by the way. <laughs> in their cups. Uh, you know, in their cups, it's just got to be like a cup full of liquor, right? In your, in your yeah. Cup. yeah. Yeah. It means you've, you've, you've literally been into the bottom of a number of yeah. cups. In a metaphorical you're in sense, you're at the bottom of a giant glass of, yeah. Whatever old granddad or whatever, whatever your is, favorite yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Old granddad. Huh? Wow, one of the apocryphal books of the Bible. And when they're in their cups, they forget their love, both to friends and brethren. Oh, that is an old, old phrase. That sounds I would like, not have guessed that. that to be. I thought like, it was old providence, not that, old. Uh, that you know, sounds like what Lucas described, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> forgetting, your, forgetting your love for your brethren. Yeah. And That's so interesting. And the members of Yellow we, Tango. We've had a lot of, again, we've had a lot of uh, Schaefer's friends on as, as guests because he knows them, a lot of amazing, interesting people. And everybody's had a, mem- a remembrance that the angry Schaefer. That's that's a that's interesting. He and was the, there. And the, the backstory of solidifying who you were in New York City. Yeah. Well, there's... It's fascinating. Scar, this arm, this arm? There's, a, there's another... Oh, let's um, talk about the scars. Uh, there's another village idiot story. Um, we were boozy in the village idiot one time, and he it was one you could smoke in there. And uh, he's like, come on, and he just put your arm here. And so we lined up our forearms so they were parallel and touching. Uh, and then he put a lit cigarette between them. And I was like, I'm definitely not playing this game. <laughs> But I think for a while you would maybe done it with somebody else who kind of. You no, know, I found this biker dude in there. Yeah. Like he and I were like, neither of us were ever going to budge. And he like. Yeah. You had for a while, you had a good like, scar on your forearm. From it. His wife, the biker's wife was like, you guys please stop. It's <laughs> like, this is gross. Like, yeah. this is you guys may have contributed to the smoking man. Someone may have seen that and be like, it's stop. We, we need to get rid of this. It <laughs> smells like burning flesh in here. We, we should do something. No, I can't. At the village idiot, nobody would even know that would make that would only that be would a make the place smell a little better. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> I categorically I categorically don't drink whiskey because any scar that I've ever given to myself or to someone else has been under the influence of whiskey. Yeah, so pretty much said no to that for many, many years now. Yeah, yeah. I like drink. One of again, you can cut this if this seems inappropriate. I don't think it's inappropriate. One of Schaefer's, uh, Schaefer's jokes that he used to tell was, uh, "Why didn't Hitler? Uh, why didn't Hitler drink whiskey?" And it's because <laughs> it made a mean. mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might cut that up. But um, uh, you said that to people. Oh my god, it's a pretty fucking funny joke. Oh, it's funny. And um, I, don't, I don't think it's. Offensive, right? Maybe. Uh, I guess in three, two, one, we're back. What are we taking? I mean, from the there? joke is that Hitler is mean. Oh, right. right. Yeah, really of mean and yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. So right. you couldn't right. top you. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it's not just it's not a hilarious joke, but it's a, it's it's you know, not funny it's a funny to, quip. Yeah. It's not funny to laugh at. Are we not joking about Hitler anymore? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That brings me around to a topic that I actually did have that was <laughs> off of any of these topics. Um, 
I wanted to talk to you guys about an idea. I got it from that uh, How to Become a Tyrant show. Uh, I was watching this Netflix limited series, mm -hmm. and each episode focused on a different tyrannical ruler from the 20th century. It was like about a, a playbook for how to become a despot. And the the Qaddafi uh, episode had a really interesting thing. So I've been noticing in this country, we have a drought over here, right? Say so in the wet right now, we have a drought in the West and in the East, in the Southeast, there's rains and floods. And we build these pipelines to get oil from one part of the land to another part of that, right? Why couldn't we build pipelines to move water? I around? think about this. And you know what? All the time. Colonel Qaddafi did that. That was so one aspect of the playbook is public works. You know, have you gotta have these massive projects to cement your legacy. Well, his was probably desalinization, right? No, there in the south of Libya, mm -hmm. there are aquifers. Oh, and he built a massive system of pipes bringing water to the cities in the northern part of Libya. And I'm like, well, Colonel Qaddafi did it. We can do it, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's just something I think about. Yeah. Obviously, like thousands of engineers have thought about it and been like, man, it's not doable. But I think about it sometimes when I'm in northern California, it's dry, and you're like, there's an ocean right there. We could. I mean, it all comes to desalinize. Can someone profit? From it, does somebody want to put up the money to do it? And so, if the if the profit's not there, it's never going to get done. Um, yeah, this is entering the territory of like stone three a.m. conversation. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but no, I think about that's that our so bread and yeah. butter. So. <laughs> also, the aquifers are drying up. Like, like there's a limited amount of fresh water. Underneath the ground in America. And oh, I didn't know if you were talking about Libya in particular. Oh, no. And I was going to be very impressed if you knew about the state of Libyan aquifers. <laughs> I couldn't tell you about that. No. <laughs> I just mean also just like floodwaters and, you know, we should move water around. I mean, you're absolutely right. The Roman, I, I, the Roman aqueducts, they were, you know. I mean, I think that to exist in a, in a more perilously chaotic weather world, we are going to have to come up with some more, yeah. you know, ingenious, adaptive things that maybe don't always, maybe capitalism isn't going to save us here, folks. <laughs> and you know, Matthew, our dickhead congressmen aren't going to pass any infrastructure legislation anytime soon, so you got to get through that, got to get jump through that hoop too, so... Yeah, I know this isn't happening soon. I just hope maybe I'm just putting the idea in some young one magical hour listener's head that we need more water solutions <laughs> crisscrossing the country, just like Colonel Gaddafi. Nice, nice of you to leave. I know that you were as I began to I, I was getting off the Hitler topic to talk about Gaddafi. And I could see in your eyes, you're like, well, where's this guy going? <laughs> <laughs> and you really put a kind of a positive shine on Gaddafi there, for example. It was, listen, tyrannical has, rulers yeah, yeah, yeah. are all problematic, but they're interesting, like, head cases, you know, all of them. And um, and the way that that little docu-series was breaking down this, like, here's what a lot of these guys do, you know, was very interesting.
it was probably and a big source of power for him. Probably, oh, yeah, I'm sure it sure. transformed the lives of many people, and that yeah. was a source of like support for him. Yeah, there was this video of um, like this man-made river in Benghazi, in this waterfall area where the citizenry was just like gathering, and they were all playing in this in this, these river that was made by Gaddafi. It was just, it was a really interesting scene. Uh, we gotta move some water around in this country. I, I don't know. Like, what if you could just, what if you could take all the overflow from hurricanes and get it into Lake Mead? Yeah. Or Lake uh, Powell. Because that's a drying up rock. Yeah, it's I saw sad. that crazy story about Lake Powell or like that, that, uh, uh, Cathedral Canyon or whatever it is that was under underwater forever has now been exposed. Ah, so yeah. it's exciting for geologists to be able to go see it, but it's also a huge problem. It's, yeah, that's what you're seeing in like some like the, the permafrost melts in like Russia. They're finding mm-hmm. these interesting, yeah, you know, interesting finds because their things are being exposed that haven't been exposed for thirty thousand years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. while it's really awesome to find like cave tiger cubs in Siberian caves, mm-hmm. uh. It's in general, probably a bad thing. Bigger problem, yeah. New viruses too, or old viruses coming back, right? Let's talk about something happy. Yeah, yeah. We kind of went down a weird, uh, weird road there. (laughs) If we want to, right? No, go ahead, go ahead, go (laughs) ahead. I'll I'll be the judge of whether or not this is happy. (laughs) Lucas, do you ever assess the total number of poems Ada has written about you? Um, no, but occasionally, and in a slightly less egomaniacal way than it sounds, like I'll hear of somebody famous that has read her work or that is a fan. Like, uh, she was talking, I don't I think it's okay to say this. She was talking, uh, why, why wouldn't it be okay? Uh, a friend of her the other day was like, I was talking to Barbara King Solver. That's the novelist, right? Yeah. And who I know is, is uh, I'm embarrassed. I just questioned myself on her name, but, uh, a friend of a friend had been like, oh, I was talking with her the other day, and she and you're one of her favorite modern poets, you know. And um, and so there's a tiny part of me that's like, oh, Barbara Kingsolver has read poems about me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Lucas, poems about you have been in the New Yorker. Yeah, sure, yeah. Thousands yeah. and thousands of people have read poems about you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's no, it's it's no sort of like it doesn't you know it doesn't like feed the ego, but it's it's it's, it's neat to think about. I was imagining so romantic. Like, maybe you uh, you go into the bathroom and you run the you run the shower so it gets hot and humid in there, and then you just take the poems and you just stick them against <laughs> your damp chest. Oh yeah, I mean, so of course I do that. Them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> maybe we're talking about what I would do if I had uh, <laughs> yeah. lots of wonderful poems written about me. <laughs> I also love the fact that I think, like, I think her last three books have been dedicated to me, but also to our dog, Lily Bean. Uh, yeah. And I like the idea that Lily Bean, maybe the last two books. And um, I like the idea that like Lily Bean has been kind of uh, immortalized, sounds maybe a bit uh, uh, precious about it. But like, I like the idea that she, she's there on, on the page for a long time to come. Lily Bean is a delight. Yeah, his dogs go. She's, you know. Uh, for a long time, I wasn't a huge fan of pugs because the only pug I'd ever met was Stella. <laughs> yeah, my previous pug, who lived with us 
um, off and on. Yeah, my previous book had the temperament of an ex-girlfriend. And she was loving Jealous. sometimes and um, and hateful sometimes. Yeah. And um, she was always loving to me, but uh, to strangers, I'd bring her into the bar to shape herself bar, the four face liar. And uh, she'd sit on the bar stools. It was when you could have dogs in New York City. And I'd bring her in in her little dog carrier. And she'd sit with her eyes big, big and wide like pugs do and just like invite people to come and pet her, you know. And then they'd get within like three inches of her and she'd lose her mind. And pugs are like super friendly. They're like, she, you know, some people would approach her because every other pug they've ever met has been a sweet pug. And, um, and she'd just chuck her brain and, and, uh, and try to attack them. Um, but also when in our, I remember Schaefer telling me in our apartment, when I had the dog, my girlfriend, she and I split, we did split custody of the dog, which is a little ridiculous. That's tough. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the custody. dog too. Like, I know that. <laughs> I know that Stella didn't have a great life. So I got to try not to hold it against her. But, but I, still. I'd leave her at home and I'd leave for work. And Schaefer would be like, I, you know, I went into the room and I tried to like, you know, be like, hey, let's go for a walk or like try to get her excited. And she was just like super mopey the entire time I was gone. And that did feed my ego. Like I did. I liked that. You know? <laughs> but uh, it was but nice. yeah, she, she was she was very much a dog about yeah. her owners. Yeah. It was nice to learn that not all pugs were like that. And then I actually I was in. Apartment, like maybe Prospect Park or something, a few years after, uh, you know, Stella and I permanently parted ways. And, uh, <laughs> and I met a pug there that was just super cool and super chill and was able to play with it for a little while. Just went after some stranger's pug. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, I got, yeah. and then of course I met Lily Bean. Lily Bean is one of the greatest dogs I've ever met. And that's, she was at the wedding as well. Yeah. So she played a big part. Are you are you a pug guy? You got a series? Yes, of pugs? totally. Yeah. Yeah. Is you you fight. You like latch onto a breed, and yeah, I mean, I've okay, only had sure. two, but uh, uh-huh. uh, but uh, they're yeah, they're okay. cool little dogs. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. They're unique little things. Yeah. In the way that my family will always be Samoyed people. I see. A what? A who? Samoyed. You remember Harvey or a big white dog? Maybe you never met him. I don't think so. Harvey was such a great dog, but like. This day, to this day, I don't really feel like I want to replace them. You know, it's, yeah, right, right, yeah. Uh, what are they? Are they herding dogs or hunting dogs? Or uh, yeah, maybe sledding dogs. I don't really know. Yeah, there's a big fluffy white ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And cool, they would cool, uh, weather work dogs. Yeah, they had an undercoat that they would shed in warmer, in warmer weather. You know, to cool themselves off. They uh, seem like tough Texas dogs. They, uh, tough dogs to have in Texas. Well, in addition to probably being yeah. tough Texas dogs, Harvey yeah. always seemed happy, but he was happiest when it was snowing. You yeah. know, because Lubbock, Lubbock uh, cools Lubbock, off. Lubbock's, Lubbock's yeah, yeah. pretty temperate. Yeah. yeah. And then in the spring, he would shed that. It was amazing. Like it looked like it was snowing in our backyard. Yeah. He would shed all that extra extra hair and trim down for the summer. And yeah, he definitely never seemed unhappy. He and I used to. We had that big backyard. He, yeah, I used to just run around and romp, and oh, we had a grand old time. Was he named after the rabbit? After the imaginary, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, the imaginary rabbit. You got it. That's a good name, and it's a good name for a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Too few humans these days are named Harvey. I suppose. Just back to your poems, real quick. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like I love Ada's poems, and the fact that I can pick up a New Yorker and read one of these amazing poems and know that it's also about one of my favorite people in the whole world, you know, uh, 
it's pretty awesome for me. I love, I love it. I love, yeah. You know, I love that another person loves you so much to, you know, like write these awesome poems about you. And, um, I, I was thinking the other day, you know, I knew we were going to have you on here. I was like, do I have any poems about Lucas? Well, I was like, I have poems that you pop up in, like as a character, I think. Yeah. But I was hoping that we were going to feature some of Ada's poetry. Oh, here. For, yeah, I'm going to read my favorite. My favorite poem, Ada poem oh. about Lucas. I'm going to read it. You got it queued up. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. good, good. Also, you know, also about birds. You know, Ada and I love our birds. Yeah. She's a. Uh, uh, she spends a lot of time in her backyard tending to uh, the birds and then writing poems about it. And yeah, these two started a good thing. geeking out about birds. We yeah. had eight on the show for sure. What a nice night this is, Junior. It's almost yeah. cool out here. It's unbelievable. I think the mosquitoes have gone to bed. The, the mosquito, mosquito situation was getting dicey there yeah. for a second. <laughs> yeah, there was a, definitely from the 15th minute of the show to about the 45th. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they started to swarm. But I yeah. think we're okay. I believe now. the term is eaten alive. Yeah. That's what my mom would say. Wait, so, no, I mean, it's, it's like. It's it's a little bit surreal sometimes because you're, you know, when I when I read her poems, they're I generally read, of course, read them before they're published, and then so they seem just like so personal, and it's just like it's like somebody just sharing just with you, and I forget sometimes that it's there's such a wider world. I don't, not that you forget, but like you maybe sometimes underappreciate. There's this wider world that like loves her poetry, and she would die, and she's meant. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, great to be a small part of it. I, I think that's amazing. (laughs) It's a micro macro sort of thing. Like you're in it and you know that it's so public too, but it's, yeah, but it also, it feels so personally, you forget that it's public, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess any art is that way in terms of the artist sharing their thoughts, their lives. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, yeah. You're like a, you're like the Mona Lisa. I was just saying, like, like the wife of David who's like, <laughs> looked at that and been like, Lucas, yeah. you're like the Mona Lisa. <laughs> Lucas, is that uh, Warby Parker's Fletcher model that oh, you're man, wearing? Oh, man, you're close. You're really close. It's actually, <laughs> if we, we can go back here, it's the Brady model. That's the Brady. Yeah, I just got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It looks a lot like the. It's this. It's got the same. I think they may rename models. It's sometimes. got the same. Um, like Oreo. There's like the frame is yeah, like, like is layered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just got glasses. For the first time. And I for the first time. Yeah. yeah. And I got the Fletchers. Nice. Yeah. There, there are Warby Parkers, okay. and uh, but it's the Brady. Yeah, okay. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Ada was pretty sure that I bought this model before when they were called something else. So I think mm. maybe every couple of years you're like, eh, we'll change it up. It by, up. Yeah, like yeah. how at the hardware store they move everything to a different locations sometimes. Do they do that at the hardware store? Yeah, have you ever noticed that? No, at no. your Lowe's or your Home Depot. Like yeah. Every once in a while they just do fruit basket turnover and they move all the aisles to different locations. You're like, I That's just learned the store. I don't know why they do that. <laughs> I think it's because they know they know that if you have to search the store, then you have to walk by a bunch of stuff that you might buy impulsively. That's devious, and it, but it and kind of is brilliant. And if you, but if you just know 
that you need tack cloth and you go there every time and find it. Yeah. They don't want that to happen. Yeah. Under You're not going to like discover your, like the, the latest ratchet set that you must have. No. Because, yeah. No. Rubberized they, handles or something. Yeah. 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 The hardware store being my home away from home. Well, uh, are we coming to Poetry Corner? Are we are we sauntering our way down to Poetry Corner? How long are you in Austin? Leave tomorrow. Leave tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, was it a good visit? It was great. I came in yesterday, saw some great friends, and uh, I will be back shortly. You'll be back shortly? I think so. Yeah. Maybe not super shortly, but the, well, the right. busy season for filming Thoroughbreds is, is upon us. How uh, how was uh, traveling in the pandemic? I was always, I was, I was always, you know, very like respectful and wore masks, and but I, I was always a little probably internally more lackadaisical than I should have been, even though I was like always like heavily masked and all. I like, I am overly confident, like oh, I'm sure everything's gonna be fine. Right. I've got an overly optimistic streak. Yeah, like ah, it's ah, babe, we'll be all right. Yeah, but um, I don't don't mean to make light of you know this you know the terrible pandemic, but uh, you know. But you you like, are vaccinated. Oh yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I did quite a lot of travel last year, and was always very. It's the one thing about filming horses is that you're naturally far away from other people. You're, huh. you know, you're thirty feet from yeah. from everybody. But uh, uh, but yeah, no, coming down was actually all right. It was. Uh, I feel like people are being pretty respectful of like this the surge. You know, it's at good. least where you know it's what I've seen. Yeah. Maybe, again, maybe that's being overly optimistic. Right. Well, I think I think it's going to be okay in the end when the planet finally destroys the human race. Um, yeah, things will be all right. At that yeah, point. <laughs> everything's going to heal after that. Uh, well, if you're uh, if you're listening out there and you're a thoroughbred breeder broker uh, yeah. looking to sell a horse, check out Thoroughstride. Uh, they've got the marketing tools that you need to get your horse's pelvis seen. And if you want, yeah, we could also appeal to the advertising arm of the thoroughbred industry. If you want to be yeah, featured on to a plug anybody? top-notch podcast with a broad listenership in India and, and <laughs> elsewhere and in the U.S. Yeah. And John and John in the United Arab Emirates. Hi, John. We were talking about you today. Glad you're listening. <laughs> So, uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> Poetry Corner. Everybody's like, bring the robot back. I found an old poem on my blog called The Finger. And uh, it has a picture of Lucas. Uh, and it's obviously written by me in the middle of the night at what I think must have been John Cotter's wedding weekend when we were hanging out on coastal Connecticut. And obviously I snapped this picture of you in the middle of the night. And you've kind of you're kind of scratching the side of your face with your middle finger, <laughs> and then uh, I posted this in the middle of the night on May twenty fourth, two thousand nine, twelve fifty one a.m. So obviously I shot this picture, loved this picture, wrote this poem in the middle of the night, and posted it up. Uh, and I'll put it uh I'll put it up on the Facebook page so that you guys can see this beautiful picture of Lucas scratching himself with a finger. <laughs> This poem is called The Finger. Midnight, coastal Connecticut, and Lucas finds the finger. The corners of the porch define our borders. On Monday, our holiday road will take us home. But tonight, the sound is sweet. Montauk wakes quietly across the water. 
tonight's the middle of the party for which Lucas has found a finger. <laughs> nice. I love it. <laughs> That's a weird one. <laughs> so that was an example of a Shafee poem about Lucas. Yeah. And now you're going to read a, uh, yeah. a poem. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, now, and now we'll hear from the professionals. <laughs> Ada Lamone. And I, I think I've actually read this on podcast before. I just love this poem so much. I, I don't mind reading it again. Ada Lamone, State Bird. Confession. I did not want to live here. Not among the goldenrod, wild onions, or the drop seed. Not waist high in the barrel-aged brown corn water. Not with the million-dollar racehorses or the tightly wound round hay bales. Not even in the old tobacco waste station we live in, with its heavy metal safe doors that frame our brick bedroom like the mouth of a strange beast yawning to suck us in each night like air. I denied it, this new land. But love, I'll concede this. Whatever state you are, I'll be that state's bird. The loud, obvious blur of song people point to when they wonder where it is you've gone. Such a good poem. We had, actually, when Ava was on, she talked about the, uh, the bedroom and the tobacco way station mm. and the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which I remember, I, I, I spent a brief afternoon there. I remember when we were driving through you and, uh, your brother yeah, Dick. Dick and I were making the trek back from New yeah. York. The treacherous drive through West Virginia. <laughs> and finally found us. And I believe we stayed a couple, we stayed a night or two in Nitro. Which is my, my favorite named place in all the United States. Yeah. Simply, yeah. I remember the first time I drove past Nitro, I posted something like along the lines of like, it's like they're letting 12 year old children name towns in West Virginia. <laughs> Nitro. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there, there's a nuclear power plant in Nitro, which also seems weird, like a weird 1950s ish, like, yeah. I don't know when that town was named, but like it seemed like a 12 year old in 1950 was like, we should call it Nitro. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for. Allowing yourself to be shanghaied on onto the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. This thanks, for, thanks for clearing up some basic questions about horse racing that we <laughs> yeah, had <maybe>. and about <laughs> Shaver's psyche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The geology of uh, Lexington. We covered a lot of ground. It's fantastic yeah. stuff. All right. Well, we want to remind everybody that we love you, but we would love you more if you would give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Or tell your friends. Lots of ways. There's a voice. There's a voicemail line. Leave us a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail. The the number's somewhere. I don't know where. <laughs> I had a I had a whole mnemonic device for how to remember the number. <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, it's seven eight seven. No wait, it's seven six six six. Zero seven. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. 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 Refer to a previous episode. (laughs) Golly, I could happily do this all night long. Ah, don't, don't, don't pander to the listeners' desires. To the two of y'all, this late hour. Uh, Lucas. Speaking of birds, that's a very interesting. That's you. It's a new one, but it's not that new. It's a couple years old, but it's, um, do you know the poet Mark Doty? Yeah. Mark Doty wrote 
the book that was um, illustrated by a guy named Michael. I forget Michael's last name. And there's a black ink image in the book of this bird. And uh, I was like, oh, that'd be a great tattoo. And so I went into my tattoo guy and I was like, we need to like lighten it up or do something. And so we put like a geographic image. Uh, I don't know if it works or not, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's a, a it, geometric it, image. Geometric, no. sorry, what I said. Yeah, geographic. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It's pretty it, fantastic. It looks like it, with the way it is, uh, it looks like it, it, it has texture to it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's from that book. So thank you, Mark Doty. Now that's not Mike Doty. Not from Sokovic, <laughs> but uh, Lucas and I, well, Lucas in particular, yeah, big Sokovic right now. <laughs> I like a couple songs. Many shades, <laughs> <my> <laughs> there's a lot of people who would, would, a lot would be right alongside Manish yeah. on that one. Who yeah. hates him? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, he's polarizing. Love him. He's definitely a love him or hate him guy. Yeah, I can, I can say, yeah. yeah. Well. If you had the voicemail number, you could call and leave us a voicemail about how you feel about Mike Doty. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> send us a. Can I rate Mike Doty calling you tomorrow? Send us an email, uh, feedback at onemagicalhour.com. Yeah. And uh, hey, do you, do you listen to the podcast? Yeah. Uh, do you want to do our sign off for us? No. <laughs> 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 See, nobody listens to the end. Okay. Lucas, say, the poor of the choices. What's that? The poor of the Here, I got it. I got it. The poor of the choices. The sweet of the wine. Columbus turn around Just pretend that a desert with no end Is all that you found Turn around Columbus Send the boats back east Don't you raise up your sword In the name of your Lord And then worship the beast I know we get to dance I know we get to hear the blues But we could do without The combo Genocide and slave abuse Let a big storm rip And swallow your ship Let it slip down into the sea Better you die in a flood With our notion of blood Shed over history
Okay. 